0: I turn your attention this morning to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, chapter two, and we begin reading in verse one. Jonah chapter two and verse one. Amen. We are excited and preparing for uh, this Winds Conference that I know is going to be a great blessing. And um, we are anticipating a mighty move of the Holy Ghost amen over the next few weeks if you can take some time to be in prayer and fasting i know that god will honor that and the wind of his favor will blow in like it did last year and i believe that god is raising up a church in these last days That's going to be a big part of what we know of from the word of god is this latter day revival amen a latter day revival how many of you still believe the lord's getting ready to come back for his church amen (laughs) We've got to be ready. I believe God's going to use our church to be a part of this end-time revival. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and cried and and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas. The floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed me over. And I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. Boy, he's in a bad situation, isn't he? If you ever thought you were in a bad situation, boy, just read about Jonah. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet. 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 I'm thankful for every yet that's in the word of God. When it seems like everything's going south, yet God is still in control. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay that that I have vowed salvation is of the lord and the lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out jonah upon the dry ground i want to speak this morning from this thought the whale and the worm the whale and the worm the blessing of discomfort would you bow your head and pray with me lord we are thankful to be in your house today and thankful for your presence Thankful for your people, thankful for the power of God, and Lord, we're so thankful for your word that illuminates our path, directs us, it gives us, Lord, safe passage. We're so thankful for your word. We ask you now, Lord, that as we lift life principles from this holy written word of God, that you would allow it to fall on good ground, touch us in our heart and our soul and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You may be seated and thank you so much for standing. Jonah is not a long book. In fact, in my Bible, it's only a page and a half. It's only 48 verses, only four chapters, but I suppose uh, it's one of the more interesting books in the Bible. In fact, the story of Jonah the whale has to be one of the top five stories in the Bible. If we think about the great iconic stories of David and Goliath and you know, Noah in the ark and Moses in the Red Sea. I I would have to say that Jonah in the whale uh, are, it's one of the top five stories. Do you guys like studying about Jonah and the whale? The children are just beside themselves with excitement today. Even theologians hypothesize whether it was a fish that we are familiar with, the only one we can think of that could be that large and even have that Even close to that kind of capacity to swallow a human whole would would be a whale. But maybe it was just a fish that the Lord prepared for Jonah as the very first submarine that could carry a person underwater. But we don't know. That's why there's different ideas and theologians talk about it. Even some commentaries speculate that Jonah actually died and came back to life because the New Testament likens the crucifixion of jesus and he being in the grave as similar to jonah being in the belly of the whale but the difficulty with that analogy is the bible says that jonah cried out from the belly of the fish and it is difficult to cry out if you are dead but even without these theological interpretations and ramifications of the story the word pictures that the scriptures produce are just rich. And I think this is much more than just a fascinating story. I believe every word in the four chapters of Jonah. I believe that indeed Jonah did run from the will of God and the call of God and that God did prepare a great fish. I don't believe that the word of God is some sort of poetic license to illustrate these ancient principles i believe that from genesis 1 1 to the end of revelation 21 that all in between every word is forever settled in heaven and ladies and gentlemen it would do you good to settle the fact that the word of god is without contradiction and that it is without error and i believe everything in it and if i don't understand it that's my problem not the word of god's problem just because we may not understand everything and we can't fit it into our limited uh, rational minds, it does not mean that the Word of God is limited because we're limited. The Word of God is established. It is true. And if I can't see where two things can be juxtaposed to, to create a congruent story, then ladies and gentlemen, that's because of my limited thinking and understanding and my limited processing of my own finite mind. But my God is not finite. He is infinite. He is great and greatly to be praised. And holy men of God wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. The word of God is powerful. It's alive. It is true, and, and certainly the story of Jonah and the whale uh, is a big part of that. But think about the, the word images that we get in this, the, 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 the description, as it were. It's so rich. The, the waters come past me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. The weeds were wrapped. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains because there's mountains under the sea that you can't see. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Do you ever feel like you're in a really bad situation? Just think about Jonah. he got seaweed wrapped around his head. Down there in the belly of this fish along with everything else that that fish had eaten. And all of the acid of that stomach had to be some kind of serious acid that could digest all the stuff that that big fish could take in. And all that was going on around him and all that was in him. And and he is down there. He's in the bottom of the deep blue sea in a storm inside of a fish, seaweed wrapped around his head. Now, I don't know if that means that much to you, but just consider that one little phrase, the weeds wrapped around my head i don't know if you're like this but when i get in the ocean i don't even want the seaweed to touch my body i don't even want it to float over and come up against my leg it's just yucky and there are people that spend millions of dollars with tractors and workers to just collect all the seaweed and take it somewhere and then more comes in, and it's just like an endless job. And apparently, this year it was worse than ever before. Just seaweed, 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 seaweed. Can you imagine it wrapped around your head? And that may not be life threatening, but I I think that all of us would agree that at the very least it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable. This word, uh, uncomfortable. We use that. The word the, the Bible uses the word. Discomfort or discomfited when it uses it as a verb. It's an interesting word because we think of being uncomfortable as a mild inconvenience. I was uncomfortable in that situation. I was a little awkward in that social setting that we were in. It was uncomfortable for me. That chair is a little uncomfortable. Just like a mild inconvenience. But when the Bible uses it in the King James Version, it's in a much stronger sense. In fact, nine times it's found in Scripture. And in each case, it is not a mild inconvenience. It is a serious matter. It is used as a verb in each case. And the Amalekites came down and discomfited them. Exodus 17 says that Joshua discomfited Amalek with the edge of the sword. That being interpreted means that they wreaked havoc. They discomfited with the edge of the sword. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. But I think all of us in our humanity have felt like the enemy was discomfiting us. Discomfited us. Tried to destroy everything. Tried to take away everything from you. Tried to dislodge you from the family of God. From the house of God. From the things of God. From the word of God. But guess what? The enemy doesn't have the final say. The Lord has the final say. But when I think of this great fish, this whale as it were, I think of a major problem. I think of a major discomfort. I mean a major situation. This is a whale. This is a giant fish. This is something that can open its mouth and consume you. And you go down through the passages of whatever, however that worked. And you land somewhere in the bottom with all the other nasty rotten fish and and all the garbage that's down there and seaweed around your head. And he said, I went to the belly of hell. Yes, you did, Jonah. I want to take your word for it. I don't ever want to go there. And somehow the Bible said he cried out. I want to remind someone today, it doesn't matter how bad it gets, you can still cry out and say, God, will you hear my prayer? If he could hear, you know what Jonah said? Jonah said, I had to look toward the holy temple. Here he was in the bottom of the ocean, in the middle of a fish. And he said, which way is the holy temple of God? And he said, the Lord heard me in his holy temple. Wherever it is that God abides, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to hear my cry. And God heard his cry. Oh, my friend, it don't matter how bad it gets. God can hear your cry. (laughs) You may be sitting on a bar stool and your life is at a dead end. But oh, God can hear your cry. You may be behind bars. You may be incarcerated because of of some crime against society. But God can hear your cry from behind the bars. He can hear your cry from no matter what situation you're in. It may be something with just seaweed around your head. It may be a discomforting situation. But God can hear your cry. I think of this as a major situation, but the worm is a different story. The worm, the worm. You see, after Jonah began to cry out, the Lord said he caused this fish to vomit Jonah out on dry ground. Uh, and, And I think that that was significant that the Bible said dry ground because here he had been in a very uncomfortable situation in the bottom of the ocean. And here he was now on dry ground. Well, originally the Lord had told Jonah that he needed to go preach. He needed to go preach in Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Syria, a very wicked city. Syria was a wicked country. And Jonah just had no interest in going and preaching to all them wicked people. Maybe he thought they were going to kill him. I don't know. Maybe he thought, well, he says later on, he, I knew God was a merciful God. He was a kind God. and He was going to probably hear their prayer and they would repent and he'd probably, you know, spare them all. So We'll just cut out me, the middle man. I really don't want to go. I want to go on a cruise. Okay? I'm tired of not being on a cruise, and I'm ready to go on a cruise. And so he went down to Tarsus, which is Port Canaveral, and got a ticket. <laughs> and got on a cruise. And when he got on a cruise, he got in the middle of a big storm. All those people that he thought were his friends were not his friends because they all said, we think the storm's because of you, and if you'll get off the boat, then maybe we'll all be safe. So they're all like, one, two... Wee! And they throw Jonah, all those people that you think are your friends that you're going to give up God for, they going to throw you overboard. They, you, they just your friend, as long as you're running from God, but when it starts to upset their apple cart, when it starts to make them uncomfortable in their lifestyle, guess what they're going to do? They're going to throw you overboard. But even in that situation, the Bible said he prepared a great fish. God was still looking over Jonah. Though he was in rebellion and disobedience, God was still working on Jonah's life. Aren't you glad the Lord just keeps working on you? Even when you've given the Lord every reason to quit. But I love the way the Bible says this. It starts out in the third chapter of Jonah and it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. The second time. Heaven is keeping track. Of how many times it has to tell you to do something. That's the way the Lord is. He is like a heavenly father. Have you ever had a parent tell you that? Now I've told you twice. Don't make me tell you three times. You never were quite sure what that third time was going to involve. But I don't think heaven had to do that with Jonah. It was just like the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. We've tried to do this before. We're going to try again. Jonah had a whole different attitude this time. It's amazing how if you'll spend three days in the belly of a fish, you'll have a different attitude. If you'll stay in that uncomfortable situation long enough, you'll realize that what God told you to do in the first place was the right thing to do. Ladies and gentlemen, just because you're in an uncomfortable situation doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, doesn't mean that God lost your zip code. It just means that God is still working on you. He's still working. He's at work. God is still at work. You say, well, if God's at work, why isn't everything going well? Why am I not in some utopia society where everything just comes together and I live in an enforced state? No, that's not what it is when you're uncomfortable. That means that God is still at work. God is still saying, hey, I need you here. God God is saying, I want to use you here. I've got a plan for your life. I've got a destiny. I've got a calling. It's God's love for you that makes you uncomfortable. Jonah, I don't even know if he ever took a shower, a bath. I don't think he did. I think he just walked to Nineveh. When he got to Nineveh, he said, if all of you don't repent, you're all going to go to hell. And they all believed him because he looked like he'd just come out of hell. (laughs) I mean, he stunk. They had never seen anybody like him before. And Jonah wasn't even that motivated to preach. So you know he was preaching like... Yeah, if you don't repent, you're gonna to go to hell. You're gonna split hell wide open, a bunch of sinners. He, he, he was hoping. He was the most reluctant evangelist in the history of Christianity. <laughs> he was hoping nobody would convert. You're all gonna die. You're all gonna die. God's gonna destroy the whole place if you don't repent. And some people probably walked by him like we walk by people nowadays when we hear people, you know, with these signs. Repent and the Lord's gonna burn their earth. And we all walked by them and kind of roll our eyes. Well, guess what? They probably had people in Nineveh that did the same thing. But there were some people that heard about it and said, uh-oh, we're in trouble. God's going to destroy the whole city. Somebody go tell the king. It got all the way up to the king. And the king believed and told everybody, we've got to repent. If we repent, we've got to fast and repent. I want all of you to put the animals on a fast. All the animals? I mean, the cows were like, Rrrr. we didn't agree with this. They were hungry. They all got put on a fast. Everybody went on a fast. You know why? It don't matter how wicked you are, if you can believe, you can be saved. You may look at somebody and say, There ain't no way God's ever gonna save my husband. There ain't no way God's ever gonna save him or her. They got too much stuff, they got water on the bridge. They are a mess. Oh, my friend, but if they can believe that there's a God that still loves them, if they can believe that God, hallelujah, is still at work, he'll save to the uttermost. You don't know what God's doing. He's working on the heart. Whoever thought that all of Nineveh would repent, but they did. And the Lord said, I'm going to spare the city. Chapter 4 begins with this great verse. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly that the Lord spared him. It displeased him. And he was very angry. He was mad. He's doing a little temper tantrum. He wants Nineveh to be destroyed. And Nineveh, the Bible said it was a great city. Man, it was a large city. And he prayed, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? This is what I said. Now he's saying, I've told you the second time. I've told you this before. When I was yet in my country... Therefore, I fled before unto Tarsus. This is why I ran. This is what I knew was going to happen. I fled before unto Tarsus, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. I knew you were a good God. You would think he would be happy. Ladies and gentlemen, be careful that you don't rejoice at the demise of someone else. You ought to be thankful that God is merciful. You ought to be thankful that God is still reaching for people, even though they may be backslid, even though their life is crisis and chaos and, and their kids are a mess. You ought to be thankful that God still loves because if God is still loving them, He can keep loving you. You ought to be thankful, Jonah. Therefore now, O Lord, verse 3, take, i beseech thee my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. I just wish you'd kill me. I just wish you'd kill me. Kill somebody. If you're not going to kill them, kill me. But we can't both coexist. I mean, Jonah is just as hot as a firecracker that God did not destroy these folks. He'd even gone outside the city, got up on a hill, and got in a front row seat so he could watch the fireworks. He was so upset they had canceled the show. He was ready for this. But, oh, God is so gracious. God is so gracious. Gracious. What a good God we serve. He wasn't just gracious to these people. He was also gracious to Jonah. Verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a gourd. You know, like a gourd that grows on this big vine and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head. God creates this big gourd to grow and just give Jonah some shade. Isn't God a good God? Even though Jonah is messed up, got the wrong attitude, he prepares a gourd that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him, the Bible said, from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. The gourd. He's happy about the gourd. He's mad that God didn't destroy Nineveh. But he's happy that at least he's got a shady place. That he can sit in and suck his proverbial thumb and feel sorry for himself. For what reason, I have no idea. You just preach the greatest single sermon in the history. A hundred twenty thousand people were saved. That's just the kids. That's just the kids. The Bible said there was 120,000 that didn't know their right from their left hand. And then the Bible says besides the animals. What about the adults? Hundreds of thousands of people spared. Jonah, why are you feeling bad? Well, I just thought he would destroy the place. But no, here we are. Just like I thought. He decides to save them all. Oh, and they're such wicked people. But at least I got this gourd. At least I'm in a shady place. The Lord gives him some shade even though he's got a bad attitude. But that's not where the story ends. Verse 7 says, but God prepared a worm. Me, a little worm. He prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. God made the gourd. God made the worm... To eat the gourd. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can I stop and say. The blessings that you're enjoying right now in this life. God did it. But God can also prepare the worm to destroy it all. You say, Mel, I don't know why in the world the things were going well. I was comfortable for a while, man. I had some things happening. I had some money. To, I had a good bank account. I had a good job. I was, had a nice car that ran, in my house. Things was looking good, but there was a worm that came along. The same God that blesses, the same God that makes the worm that eats away and destroys all the stuff that you thought was so precious. God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it with. Now, here's why God made the worm. God created this little worm to give Jonah an object lesson. And he says, you care more about that gourd than did 120,000 children that don't know their right hand from their left hand. And he said, you didn't plant that gourd. You didn't water the gourd. That gourd came up one day and it died the next. And yet you're more worried about that crazy gourd than you are a whole city of hundreds of thousands of people that have been spared from my wrath because they have repented and they've gone on a fast and they have sought the face of God now Jonah has to learn the lesson of the whale and the worm because the Bible says both of them were prepared by the Lord both of these things that made him uncomfortable were prepared by the Lord Jonah 1.17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah experiences both of these things, and both of these things uh, are uncomfortable, and sometimes uh, we look at things that are really big, like the fish, some giant problem that's facing our life, like a major breakup or a a car crash, and and we think, oh my goodness, how am I ever going to recover from it, but you cry out to God, and God hears your cry, And sometimes it may be something that's really small, like a worm, or something even smaller that's microscopic, like a virus, or a parasite. But I've come to tell you that the same God, hallelujah, that created the worm and the whale is the same God that can deliver you from a big problem and from something that seemed to be small. I'll never forget more than, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 years ago when I was down in Guatemala City with Pastor Larry Sims and and, uh, Missionary Monty Showalter. And we'd had a great crusade. And then uh, we were going to go out and go fishing uh, on the Pacific side of Guatemala. And we went down through town in Guatemala City, the capital. And we found a little place and gave some money to some guy sitting on a a little stool and a, a little table behind a shoe store. I don't even know. But we just trust the missionary. We gave some money to this guy. And the next morning we drove down couple hours early in the morning while it was still dark to get down to this little village and we were going to go out fishing and we thought you know we were going to have this big yacht you know that we were going to go fishing out on and there would be a team of 10 to 12 people that would be you know putting the worms on the hook and preparing us for this great day of fishing we got down there and we looked at the boat and the boat looked like a bathtub with a tornado strapped onto the back of it It had some big engine and the captain was about a 15-year-old kid, and the first mate was about a 13-year-old kid. And we said, we're going out in this. And they're like, oh. and they're speaking Spanish. And, of course, the missionary understands, and he tells us all to pile in there. And we all pile in there. And they put us, and we go way out into the ocean. We're going out there, and we're going to fish. But, man, oh, man, it may have been a little boat, and it may have been some young kids, but they knew what they were doing they put on some fish and we've got sailfish coming in. We're fighting these sailfish and it's hot and the sun's blazing and we're landing these fish and we're taking pictures. And we're, I mean, we've never had such a day of fishing in all of our lives. We've landed eight big sailfish. Those are just the ones we got on board. We're in the middle of all this and boy, we're just working hard and it, and, and, and these, these, these these kids, this captain, this first mate, in the middle of all of this, they just hand us a sandwich and a thing of water. And we didn't even think about it. We just, we just eat and drink and gobble it all up. And we don't even think about where it came from. Was it clean? Is the water filtered? We weren't thinking about any of that. We were just hungry, starving, and we were catching these fish, and it was hot and We're around there on the water. Oh, my goodness. We were trying to get back home. And the boat malfunctioned died. And we had to get towed in. And before we could get towed in, it hit us. We got trouble. Every one of us got so sick. We got parasites from that water and that food. And we were all so sick. We couldn't even get to the shore. It was not seasickness. It was sick sickness. And I mean, we were, we, we got on the land and we felt like Jonah coming out of the whale. We're like dry ground and we're like trying to get to the car and we're so sick and that whole night we were so sick and, and brother Monty Shawalter is like, I gotta get to a pharmacy and get us a certain kind of medicine, some kind of a white pill that we were to take, Montezuma's revenge, something that would cure us he had names, I don't even know what it was but we were so sick I mean, and they told us, you know, you have these parasites and these parasites get in your body and they just leech a hold of whatever you have and it starts eating and oh my goodness, they started telling us and we were so sick and we were so sick it wasn't until the next day that that medicine started kicking in and we started feeling better and I thought, how can you get so sick from something that's microscopic but my friend, it's the same way spiritually speaking You can get a spiritual parasite that's not good for anything. All it does is latch a hold of your spirit. It can be anger. It could be something you got crossed up with somebody. You got a bad attitude about something. It may be invisible. Nobody else can see it but it is in your spirit and it is eaten away at everything else oh my friend I've come to tell you that God can bring you through any situation it doesn't matter how big or how little it is sometimes the little ones are the ones that hurt the most because they gather momentum and they can not you can't see them you can't identify them you can't put your finger on it but you know you don't have joy like you used to have joy before you're not as comfortable in the house of God as you used to be you don't come down to the altar anymore like you used To, you don't lift your hands and worship God. You know why? Because you are uncomfortable. There's something that's eating away at you. That's why you gotta put it on the altar and you gotta cry out and say, Oh God, hear my cry, oh Lord. Hear my cry. We think of being uncomfortable as something small, but the scripture seems to indicate that discomforting is much more serious. And the story of Jonah illustrates that it can be something big, something small, but the principle is still the same. In Romans 8, where Paul writes this great narrative of things that cannot separate him from the love of God, he says in verse 35, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Those are all major things. If I can say it this way, those are whales. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Those are tangible, they are visible trials. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. I mean, that's what he's saying. You've you got to sometimes you just got to get under the burden of it. There, there's times even like they say that, that these uh, these birds will make the nest uncomfortable and they rearrange the nest where they, they got these little you know sticks that are poking up so that the little bird will get uncomfortable enough that it'll start to try to fly because if it stays in the nest too long, it doesn't ever fly. It doesn't do what it was designed to do. Don't you know that sometimes God's got to make you uncomfortable so that you will do what you were designed to do? The church was designed to be an outreach post. It was designed to be able to save to the uttermost, to reach out to the lost. That's what we were... We weren't supposed to just be some model house where everybody's a perfect human being and we all come together and look at each other and we have a mutual admiration society. We say, oh, don't you look good, don't you look good, don't you look good. That's not... We're not some sort of a social club. We're a hospital. We are sub- we were designed to reach the sick and the hurting. And sometimes you got to get uncomfortable enough where the Lord can say, it's time to fly. I created you to fly. I created you to be a witness. I created you to be a worshiper. I designed you yeah. 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 to share the gospel, to spread the word. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. That's what Paul. That's why Paul said, "I die daily." He was talking about the blessing of discomfort. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and all these things we're more than conquerors. All these big things, all these whales, we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. But then watch this, verse thirty-eight. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Do you see the commonality in those things? That's a much different list than the earlier list. These are worms. These are things that you can't even see sometimes. Death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come. These are things that are just in the spirit realm. But he said, guess what? They can't separate me from God either. The whale can't separate me and the worm can't separate me. The things I don't understand can't separate me from the love of God nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, my friend, though the Lord prepared both the whale and the worm, they were not prepared for the demise of Jonah. They were prepared for the salvation of Jonah. And what you may be going through was not prepared for your demise. It may have been prepared for your discomfort, but it wasn't prepared for your destruction. It was prepared for your salvation. God is going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Oh, I know it's uncomfortable, but it's not for your detriment. God said, I'm going to save you. I'm going to do a work in your life. It may be a sickness. It may be the loss of control. It may be the loss of a loved one, but it's not for you to die on. It's for you to live. It's for your salvation. It's for God to say, though you may not have been in my perfect will, though you disobeyed what I asked you to do, I'm not done with you yet. There's still a whale. There's still a worm. There's still a God who's reaching, searching, calling, coming to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Delays can be discomforting. Delays can be discomforting. They can also be your salvation. Have any of you ever had that experience where you were delayed getting out of the house? And you get on the road and you come up on an accident and you realize you'd have been in the middle of it if you hadn't have been delayed. Yeah, I've had that experience. God delayed you to save you. Sometimes we're in a delay and we're frustrated with it. But it could be that God was trying to save you from something. I'm sure Paul did not like the discomfort of blinded eyes, but it opened his spiritual eyes. I'm sure he didn't like the discomfort of three years in the Arabian desert before he was released to preach, but it gave him passion, and it gave him purpose, and it gave him power. Moses spent 40 years in the desert before God called him back to Egypt. And though he could not see it at the time, the 40 years that he spent in the wilderness prepared him for the next 40 years he'd spent in the wilderness leading the children of Israel. Delays can be uncomfortable, but it could be that God... It created it to save you. Thought you were ready. But God said, not yet. Not yet. Seldom does God say no. He just says, not yet. Not yet. Oh, it's uncomfortable. I feel like I'm in a holding pattern. Why? Why? God says it's uncomfortable. But it's for your salvation. Oh, my friend, there's a blessing in the discomfort. Despair can be discomforting. But that also can be the vehicle that brings you through. And I think that probably this one is the most difficult. Jesus tried to prepare his disciples for the despair that would preempt the crucifixion. And as much as he tried to prepare them, they were still taken off guard. They were still confused. They lost their way struggling with despair, but it was the crucifixion that would bring the process of salvation to humanity. It was the ascension of Jesus back into heaven that paved the way for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Oh, my friends, sometimes loss is necessary for the fulfillment of the promise. I was talking with a good friend of mine recently, and he was telling me about a tough 10-year stretch of time that he went through in his early ministry as a young adult. And he said something profound that I'll never forget. He said, I would not wish what I went through on anyone, but I would not replace the kind of person that it has made me. Oh, my friend, it may have been a difficult time, but God made something beautiful. And it made you who you are. Jonah, it took a whale and a worm, but hundreds of thousands of people were saved. Oh, my friend, the process can be messy. But the final product is beautiful. Oh, you say, I don't know about this speaking in tongues as the evidence of the Holy Ghost. I just feel uncomfortable being prayed for with other people. Oh, but it's worth it to have unspeakable joy flowing from the inside of your heart. Oh, pastor, I don't want my hair to get wet. I I know the Bible says i got to be baptized, but I'm just not comfortable. Oh, but it's worth it to go down in the name of Jesus and to come up out of the water. Oh, you say, pastor, I I go to pray but I'm just not comfortable praying. Oh, but it's worth it when the Lord puts His arms of love around you. Come on, my friend, you got to understand the discomfort is a blessing. It's what leads you to being a new creature in Christ. Jesus, I, I know it can be a messy process. Hallelujah. But it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. Destruction can be discomforting, but it also sets the captive free. Joshua 10.10, 10, And the Lord, everybody say the Lord. The Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth and smote them in Ascha and unto Makedah. This is the Lord now. Discomforting them, Psalms eighteen fourteen. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Another translation says he routed them. I mean, it wasn't even a contest. He routed them. He discomfited them. You see, my friend, some things have to be destroyed so that victory can prevail. Some things have to die so that victory can prevail. We look about the children of Israel and we look at all those victories in the desert, even Jericho where the walls came down, and we rejoice over those victories. But guess what? A lot of destruction brought about those victories. Some things have to be destroyed so that you can live. Sin has to die so that righteousness can live. The enemy has to be destroyed so that peace can reign on the earth. You say, oh, this is beautiful. When we look in the Old Testament, we see that God is at work and we go forward all the way through succinctly woven through all the scriptures is God's hand protecting His people. Well, guess what? There was a lot of enemies that had to be slain. Even all the way in the book of Revelation where there's a thousand years of peace, it's because the enemy is bound up for a thousand years. There is all throughout the Word of God this understanding that something has to die so that something can live. Pride has to be destroyed so that humility can reign. Fear has to be... Be destroyed so that faith can reign. The Bible says, let God be true but every man a liar. you got to understand that there's a destruction process. Uh, that is a part of being discomforted. But oh, uh, when this old will says, I'm tired of trying to do it my own way. Uh, I'm tired of making up my own decisions. I'm going to make up my mind right now. And I'm going to commit myself to say, God, not my will, but Thy will be done. Uh, that's when you really experience freedom. That's where you really get liberty. It's When you say, God, it's not about my own comfort. It's about salvation. The gourd had to die so that Jonah could live. So Jonah would get up and move toward his promise. That circumstance that you've been holding on to, God may be taking it away from you so that you'll turn to him. Those things that have given you a false sense of security, he may pull them away from you. And you're uncomfortable in the process. But make no mistake about it. It's not because He doesn't love you. In fact, it's the opposite. He loves you so much. There's a blessing in the discomfort. It can be a whale. It can be a worm. But God that prepared that thing. That's stripping you now of the things you've leaned on. He's the same God that will make a way where there seems to be no way. He can make the fire hot, yes. But just hold on Just hold on He has prepared a way He's made it for your salvation Would you stand to your feet today Oh I feel the presence of God in this place I said He's prepared it for your salvation He's going to make a way Where there seems to be no way Mm, Would you lift your hands right now Would you lift your voice all over this building feel like the Lord is talking to hearts speak to us Lord speak to us Lord as only you can do yes Lord yes Lord It's something that has to die in my life Lord I bring it down to this altar right now come on there may be something the Lord's been dealing you with you just got to say I'm going to leave it here Just like in the Old Testament when they would bring an offering and they put it as a sacrifice unto Him. They'd have to bring a lamb. They'd have to bring an ox and a ram. They'd have to bring a sacrifice. Maybe you can just bring it down to this altar right now. You know what it is. You say, Lord, I'm going to leave it at the foot of the cross. I've been holding on to it so long. Lord, I can't trust in anything other than you. I trust in your word. I trust in your word. I'm saying, Lord, I've got to have you more than anything else. I've got to have you, Lord. Come into my heart right now, Lord. Destroy anything that's going to keep me out of your presence. Take it out of my life. Kill every spiritual parasite that would try to steal my joy try to steal my hope. I lay it on the altar right now. I lift my hearts. I lift my hands. I lift my voice unto you. That's it, my friend. Step out of where you're standing. Come to this altar. Lift up your hands unto the Lord. It doesn't matter how big or how little it is, God's going to make a way. Come on, I'm taking this seaweed off from around my head. I'm going to look to the holy temple of Israel one more time. I'm going to cry out to God one more time. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus.